0: Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Weishi Radio podcast. I must warn you before you start listening to this episode today that it was recorded live on Zoom and streamed to Facebook, so the audio wasn't actually that crisp. I now have a new mic and I've got it all set up and ready for future episodes, so please bear with me on this one. Welcome to Weishi Radio on 91.8 Haze FM, your local radio and worldwide podcast that's interactive through Facebook Lives and special guests. Join Nicola Chan each week as she helps you with your body image, mindset, fitness and health to feel confident and find your true potential. I was really excited to get Jenny on this show because she is not only a weightlifter but an amazing woman and has achieved a lot in her young years. Um, And I've actually moved from London to Liverpool and I've been weightlifting in London with a teacher called Christian McPhee for a while. Um, And when I moved up north, I said to him, who can I train with up North? And he was like, well, I'm the guy for the South and this is the lady for up North. So I started following you, watching all your stuff on Instagram. And I was just like blown away by all the stuff that you talk about, obviously your weightlifting as well. And I thought I need to have this girl on this show. This show is very much not just about amazing achievements in terms of what you can do with your body or sport or your, your career, but just as people are like overcoming adversity and people who have a story. And I like to share something with people at home who may be going through something and see someone like you and be really inspired and think, well, if she can do that, maybe I can do that as well. So welcome Jenny to the show.
1: you for having me.:
0: So if you want to start and tell us a little bit about your story?
1: yeah um, so hello I'm Jenny Tong I am a GB weightlifter and coach I I'm doing a master's in law and my story is basically that um, <laughs> I never really know how to explain my own story but essentially I nearly took the wrong path in life and um, not just weightlifting but many other events that happened in my life made me realise um, all the things that I was about to throw away, it made me realise the person I was about to become and that I didn't really like the look of who that person was and so I decided to change and I took it upon myself to do things because no one else was going to help me, no one else was going to hold my hand and it meant that I have become very resilient, i I'm quite grounded and quite realistic and I am used to the idea of working hard to get where you want to be. Um, I had fallen into the wrong crowd essentially during my teenage years. I grew up in the south of Spain, so for a bit of added context, I grew up in the south of Spain which as a child was ideal. It was the kind of childhood that you read in storybooks. It's idealistic, I had fields and just so much space to explore, not just explore with nature, but explore myself and who I was as a little girl, use my imagination. I was very free and it was perfect. It's the kind of childhood that I would want for my child. However, that perfect childhood didn't translate the same into my teenage years. So the thing that really nourished me as a child was actually damaging me as a teenager because there was nothing for me. There was no outlet. And at that point, I found myself trying to keep busy in other ways. And those other ways were skipping school and taking drugs and skipping school and taking drugs quickly led to breaking the law. Obviously, taking drugs already is breaking the law, but in much more serious ways. And I was only really young. I was about 12, 13 when this was at its peak, Um, and essentially, long story short, my mum had enough, couldn't handle it anymore, and sent me to live back to the UK with my dad, at which point I more or less decided to change my life. So
0: what was the one thing that really changed your mindset? Was it you moving back to the UK, or did something happen within you, and you just decided that's it now, this is enough?
1: Um. There was definitely a, a, a trigger, but it was, um, I think it built up to that moment. So as a as a child, as a little girl, I had so many dreams. Like I had bright, bright stars in my eyes and the world was this, you know, big exciting place for me to be whoever I wanted to be and achieve whatever I wanted to achieve. And I really, really believed that. And I'd got to this point in my life where I was looking forward up to my future and thinking there's nothing there. There is no future. All those dreams that I had as a little girl had, had evaporated in front of me and I'd watched myself almost like having like an outer, ex- outer body experience. I'd watched, my, watched myself ruin my, ruining my own life. And when we came back to the UK, I think it was two days in, my mum invited my dad around and she sat him down and she told him who I really was because to my dad I was still his angelic little girl who he saw during the holidays he got the best of me and suddenly he saw me for me and that broke my heart because as my dad's only only daughter only child I knew that he was always he would always believe me he would always back me as being this angelic stars in your eyes little diva and suddenly he saw me as you know the the bad quote unquote bad person that I'd become and it it devastated me. I saw the light leave his eyes and that was enough for me to realise that if I if I was going to change it had to be right now.
0: How old were you at this <laughs> time?
1: I just turned 14.
0: So still very young.
1: Very young yeah I've so you turned mentioned...
0: You mentioned stars in your eyes and I think I've read somewhere you were a singer, singer or dancer?
1: Just a performer. I just loved performing. I loved being up on stage. I just loved making people laugh and engaging people. So I did. I sang for, for many years. Um, my mum supported me with that no end. And yeah, even that, like the music industry, I think I don't really need to go into it, but the music industry can be quite damaging as well. And like I found myself I found myself at 14, 13, 14, having Amy Winehouse moments on the stage where I couldn't stand straight because I'd drank so much before just to calm my nerves or I'd taken so many drugs before because that's what I wanted to do. And then slowly but surely like I'd stopped heading up to rehearsals because I was on a come down or I'd, you know, just not communicate with anyone for weeks on end and no one would know where I was or what I was doing. Um, I think, yeah just a lot for someone so young
0: so if you could say anything <laughs> reflecting back now to your younger self or to anyone else who's listening who might be in that position now what would you say
1: um take care of yourself because no one else will like no no when you have to be you have to prioritize yourself and your future self i think there is as, as reluctant teenagers nothing anybody else says helps like I wasn't going to listen to anyone and that's a reality that I have to face now that everybody around me was trying to help me and I was never going to listen to them so it didn't matter what they said it had to come from me and so my my one piece of advice to young people who you know, going through something similar is look within yourself and then look forward and ask yourself if that, if where you are now is where you want to be. And if it's not, then you need to do something about it.
0: So when you're doing something about it, you got into weightlifting. Was there someone that inspired you to get into it? Or did, how did you end up doing weightlifting or finding the sport?
1: So funnily enough, weightlifting, um, weightlifting kind of came second. So Initially, when I first moved back, I missed the whole of year nine because no school would take me. I'd been kicked out of school and no school in in Hull would have me. Um, So I really spent a year, sat on my laurels, wishing I was in education, missing my education. And that really prompted me to want to throw myself into my education and want to make something of my education. So I... When I went to performing arts school in London for college, I made sure that I sat some A-levels independently so that I could then go away and study something at university that wasn't performance, that wasn't performance based. So I decided to study politics and international relations with the goal or ambition, essentially, would be to go into diplomacy and one day move back to Spain. Came to university, thought, you know what? University is um, its the, the experience that you go for, really. It's the opportunities, you meet people, you try new things. I thought, I'd really like to try a new sports. So I was at the sports fair, and I was, um, I'd act- I was actually looking for wrestling, because I did judo growing up. And I thought judo and wrestling, they had a similar crossover. So I'd looked down the list of sports, and there was no wrestling but there was weightlifting right at the bottom i kind of thought you know what i go to the gym i could maybe try that who knows wasn't really didn't think about it too much but it did catch my eye you know i'm walking through the sports fair hall and then i just heard you oh, looking around and it just sounded very direct and i thought that sounded like it was to me so i'm looking around thinking who said that and there it was strength sports and there was a girl at strength sports pointing at me she just went you'd make a good weightlifter And i was like me 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 make a good weightlifter? i've never never tried weightlifting um, but she convinced me so i went along and i stuck at it i was good at it she was right i was good at weightlifting and she is now one of one of my very close friends um but essentially yeah i would say she's the one that got me into weightlifting because i'm not i'm not entirely convinced that had she not spotted me, I'm not convinced that I'd have had the guts to go and sign up on my own.
0: So it was all meant to be.
1: I'd like to think so, yeah. So what was it
0: like back then, the early days of weightlifting? So when you say you got into it, were you like doing it a few times a week? And how did that then take you away from all of the stuff that you'd previously done? Was it an easy transition because it was something that was healthy and you needed to be healthy in your body?
1: Yeah, I definitely think it was an easy transition for me. It was an easy commitment for me to make, despite the fact that I'd never done sports before and I'd never committed to doing sport before. I needed weightlifting, I think. I think I I do now see that I needed an outlet. Um, I stopped performing uh, for, for personal reasons. And so it meant that, you know, the time that I would have spent partying or performing, I committed to weightlifting. And I think initially I started twice a week and then that very quickly um, grew to three times a week. And they were the club sessions. <clears throat> and then I added the fourth session kind of independently. So I just go to the gym and do some extra bits. So very early on, I was, I, I dare say I was very committed very early on. And I think that was because I just saw something in it that I loved. I thought, I'm actually good at this and I can turn up and have fun. And it's not it's hard in that it's physically and mentally taxing, but it's not hard in that I'm walking out crying because I can't do it every day. It's actually empowering me. It's making me feel better about myself. And so that really just drew me to it even more.
0: Do you have those moments where you walk out crying?
1: More, <laughs> more and more every year. Um, but I do think that just is part of the. Pressure, that comes with being a performance athlete as well. You know, you've always got to be on your game. You're always competing against someone. You, I mean, personally, I always consider myself to be competing against myself. Um, and, you know, sometimes Jenny last month was better than Jenny this month. And that's a really hard pill to swallow when you've been working just as hard. It's, it's, it's a tough sport. It's mentally and emotionally draining. So, yes, there are sessions that I do walk out crying, but I do always finish my session. (laughs) And I think that's either a a blessing or a curse, I'm not sure. Mm,
0: How do you manage that? Do you have a coach that manages you mentally as well as physically?
1: Uh, No, I have coached myself for the past three years. Um, I I did have a coach initially when I first started. Um, And I think... I I, I don't don't, um, think I would dismiss the idea of having a coach now, but I am a very independent person and I struggle to trust people and put faith in them uh, to the extent that the way I see it is that no one else is going to be as invested in me as me. And I think that's something, again, that I learned very early on in that was that if I want something, I've got to want to do it myself. And with a coach, they coach other people. You're never going to be their priority. And so for me to grow physically and mentally, I, instead of having a coach, just surrounded myself with a, a good support network. And I consider, I consider who people would call coaches, I consider them mentors. So... Things like dealing with stress, or you know, dealing with those rollercoaster emotions around different competitions and different periods, and things like that, I can turn to them for support without feeling like um, like they are in control in, in some way, or like they need to dictate to me. Or because well, I, I just think that the dynamic, the dynamics of of a coach athlete relationship, are so. Um, so they're so basic they're so human As as a coach you've got to read your athlete and the athlete has to read the coach and honestly i don't have the mental and emotional capacity to be thinking about what someone else is concerned about i know what's best for me and so i make those decisions and if i'm not sure then i can refer to someone but i just find the coach athlete relationship just too much for me personally but that and I, I guess that's rich because I'm a coach as well. So, so I, I'm doing the same thing for other people. But if someone turned around to me and said, Oh, you know, I I'm not keen on the idea of having a coach, I'd prefer a mentor, then I would definitely back that.
0: So how many years have you been weightlifting now?
1: Five. Five years, yeah.
0: Wow. Five years, and you're already amazing weightlifter lifting big time weights. How did you find yourself getting from where you began with just the bar or maybe even a pole to where you are now? Like, has it been like small incremental weights or have you had massive jumps in weights? How have you found it?
1: Uh, Obviously as a beginner, you make beginners gains. And so getting, uh, getting stronger early on is easy. It's, you know, it's as you start getting to that intermediate level where the returns lessen. So, You know, at the moment, I'm lucky if I make two to three kilos progress a year. Um, As a beginner, that was more like 15, 20, 25 kilos a year. I think one of the the things that probably set me out um, from the offset was that I was quite, I'm quite brave with weights. I'm not scared of weights. And so I was very much of the thinking of, well, if she can do it, why can't I? There's, there's, what what would be the reason that I'm not strong enough? Well, we'll find out if I'm not strong enough if I miss this lift. And so really early on from it, from when I started, it was just a case of if the, if the coach or whoever was leading the session had turned around, I'd throw an extra five kilos on and just give it a go because why not? And it was there where I quickly realised that I was a lot stronger naturally than a lot of the girls around me, which meant I surpassed them very quickly. And then when you have a good... A natural foundation of strength, it's easier to build on. I had good flexibility as a dancer, I had good range, a good mobility, and I think they all really helped me um, get better quickly. But I think without confidence, I don't, uh, you know, you could have all of those characteristics, and without confidence, without backing yourself, you approach things a bit tentatively. And that's probably where I made the most progress
0: so have you ever experienced fear with weightlifting
1: yeah yeah is it a certain
0: weight that you get to and, and when you got there did you find you were stuck there for a while
1: yeah 100% there are um I know a lot of people who get to certain weights and have a mental block and so you have to you quickly learn to work around those weights so for me um it's hard to remember in the past what it was, but I think there was there was a little bit of a block around like a 60 kilo snatch in competition. Um, and then 80 kilo snatch in competition was, it's just a big no-no for me. So I will do whatever I need to do to avoid the number 80. And it's the same with 85. <laughs> um, clean jerks are the same, um, but again, that varies. And I do think it's just a part of like, it's kind of like just getting to know yourself as an athlete, um it, it's all psychological like there's there's very little chance that that one kilo is actually making that much of a difference, but psychologically, if you believe it's going to, absolutely it,
0: can you in your it. head yeah <laughs> so do you have phases as well where you prefer like the clean and jerk or the snatch
1: all the time all the like sometimes I think I'm making my mind up and then like the world flips on its head and everything's different. So snatch historically, I think if you asked anybody outside, well, yeah. If you asked anybody within the weightlifting community, they'd probably say that I'm a much better snatcher than a, than a clean and jerker. Um, And that is generally true on the basis that I've had broken two British senior records in the snatch in the past. Um and my clean and jerk, it's my clean that, that I struggle with. Uh just just I think it's a lot a lot to do with the way that I'm built. Um the clean isn't as comfortable for me.
0: You but are also jer- incredibly tiny for the massive weights that you're lifting.
1: <laughs> but the jerk, I do feel like the jerk is is relatively easy to me for me, which is why I was really frustrated with my performance at the weekend, because it was my jerk that actually let me down. Um but then sometimes like, I, think, I think I'm having a great time with snatching. And I mean, you'll know yourself having done some training. Snatches, they're just, they're just like the devil's work. It feels like snatches were thrown into weightlifting to humble people on purpose. And I very much find that some days we'll be having a great time and then they'll just be two months where I can't snatch over 60 kilos without it looking very poor. Why that happens, I still don't know. And I find a lot of people do have the same issues. So it's not just me. I know it's not just me going through that roller coaster of sometimes we love to snatch, sometimes we love to clean and jerk. As long as I remember to keep my heels down in my catch on my clean, nine times out of ten, I love my clean. But also nine times out of 10, I catch it on my toes. So then I, nine times
0: out of 10, I hit my clean. <laughs> so let's talk a little about the competition that you just did. So it was a virtual one. Obviously, we're stuck in lockdown. So it's not the normal conditions. How did you find that? I mean, you've hit some amazing results at 87 snatch and 102 clean and jerk, which is a massive amount considering your body weight. Um, how did you feel like reaching those targets and also with it being virtual compared to the normal situation?
1: Um, do you know what? I'll be, I'll be really honest. It's, it's hard. Weightlifting is just, is such a strange sport. There are, there are times that you feel excited and you think, wow, this is really moving in the right direction. And then just one little thing will again, humble you and just make you question everything. So if you'd have said to me at Christmas that I would hit an 87 kilo snatch an 102 kilo clean and jerk, I'd have been over the moon. I'd have been ecstatic because it's a big PB for me. I've only ever snatched 82 in competition before, and I've only ever clean and 101. And my clean and jerk's been really, my lifts had just really struggled during 2020. So I would, I would have been, I would have been so happy to have hit that. And then, you know, I, I, I did it on the day, and I snatched 87, and I was. Exhilarated, like really ready to go into my clean and jerks. And actually, because I had such a good training month in January, 102 clean and jerks suddenly wasn't that much because it's only one kilo more than what I'd ever done. So suddenly it wasn't as rewarding as it should have been. And I think it's just a bit of a roller coaster of emotions because on the one hand, I'm like, this is huge for me. And then on the other, I'm like, putting myself down a little bit and and telling myself that I could have done more or that I should have done more. So I'm still, I'm still a bit tentative with it. I'm still not actually sure how I feel about my performance, largely because the fact that it was in the gym and it's not in a real competition environment. So there's a large worry for me that it's going to be very difficult for me to recreate that 87 kilo snatch on a competition platform because the gym is my it's my safe space and that's where I perform the best because I'm there every day I'm looking at the same spot on the wall every day I'm in my comfort zone and you know recreating that on a competition platform is not the same so I am actually not really sure how I feel about it I'm happy that I did it I'm happy with some of the results and I'm tentative moving forward (laughs)
0: looking back over all of your achievements that you've achieved to get to where you are now, what has helped you the most, being hard on yourself and thinking I could have done better or praising yourself for what you've achieved?
1: I think somewhere in the middle. I, a lot of people around me would, would call me a pessimist, but I'm not. I would firmly believe that I'm a realist. And I do, you know, I, I do the pros and the cons a lot. I don't ever sit on one side of the fence. And so I don't necessarily think that being hard on myself is always the best answer, but I don't know if you've seen any of the videos of me training in the garage. There is literally a stencil on the floor in, on the garage platform that says stop being soft because being soft isn't going to win me medals. Being soft isn't going to help me grind through a really heavy clean sometimes you have got to be hard and you have got to be a little bit gritty and a little bit tenacious. And yeah, okay, be kind to yourself, but also don't make excuses. And so I, I would definitely think I'm, I'm of that camp. Mm.
0: So that kind of leads me on to the question about the athlete's mindset, which I've heard you talk about on your Instagram before. How could you explain the athlete's mindset to people who don't know what that is?
1: Um, so the athlete mindset as I interpret it, is largely based around performance and lifestyle. So it's doing the things that you need to do around your sport in order to make you the best athlete that you can possibly be. Um, For a large part, I'm not necessarily interested in being the best athlete that I can be, athlete, because I am concerned about being the best person I can be, the best version of myself that I can be. And uh, that does tie into the athlete mindset and for, for me, the athlete, my athlete's mindset is around growth and turning up every day and making those one percent count. Because like we've said, you can have a really bad session. You can You will have a really bad session. But that doesn't mean you can't gain something from that session. And so there's an element. There's a psychological element of, you know, you can have a fixed mindset where you can think, right, well, I've had a bad session, so it's just a wasted session. Or you could have a growth mindset of, okay, I've had a difficult session. Why was it difficult? What were the factors that might have made it difficult? How have I helped myself by overcoming some of these difficulties? And utilizing those as a a growth mechanism, as as, as a tool to help you be better every day, just by 1%. And those 1% accumulate to a six kilo PB total. So, um, yeah, that's, to me, the athlete mindset.
0: Mm-hmm. How have you found it different training for women and
1: training for men? Um, I mean, the, the main thing is your menstrual cycle. Women, I haven't studied um, the effects of the, the menstrual cycle enough to really make Um, informed statements about it from a coaching perspective but from an athlete's point of view I find that it's wild (laughs) it's wild and you really do have to start getting to know yourself as as a person as an athlete as a woman Um, because that will be your main limiting factor sometimes because it's out of your control you can't really do anything about it so you have to work with it or work around it you can't work against it because it will just it's not going to work competing i'd say is is a whole different kettle of fish for women as it is for men men can cut weight. men can cut a handful of kilos in a day or two and be absolutely fine and not feel the effects on competition day For women, that is completely different. We retain water a lot more than men. And so, you know, just simple things like doing a a water cut or even just a general, you know, cutting a few days before competition isn't as effective on women in the same way that it is for men. So you have to do it over a longer period of time for the most part, which can then affect you in different ways. Like for a lot of women, when they cut down, they lose their menstrual cycle. a lot of women it becomes quite irregular their hormones become quite erratic just it affects you in so many different ways that you do have to start getting to know yourself in ways that men don't really have to worry about and I do think you know again having a coach I do strongly believe that if you have a coach and you're a woman and they're not asking you about your menstrual cycle then you probably need to think about getting a new coach because when they are they're not asking to be nosy or invasive they don't care they that's not they don't care they care about you and they're wanting to help you train and compete optimally and if a coach isn't asking you those questions because they feel a little bit embarrassed about it maybe then I think that that's maybe a them problem you need to be focusing on your performance and if they're not focusing on your performance and they're not making themselves uncomfortable to focus on your performance then yeah probably need to look for a a slightly better coach in my opinion
0: so how things like cutting or your experience in weightlifting as a whole affected you personally with like body image and maybe disordered eating or anything like that
1: a lot yeah um i do I had historical um, eating problems, uh, disordered eating. Uh, crash dieting for me started around 12. I was carrying a lot of like puppy fat. And I think I went on the Atkins diet for like four months and just made myself ill. And it kind of carried on from there. I would, um, I would essentially go keto for, for months on end. And, you know, being so young, like that was just really not helping my mindset. And then coming into weightlifting, I think I naturally sat around 55 kilos. So I decided to cut down to 53. I was carrying a lot more body fat at 53. So I figured out that if I dropped body fat and then put on muscle, that it would level out. And then I would only need to lose about a kilo of water. So I competed as a 53 for two and a half years. And it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Like emotionally, I was a a mess emotionally and psychologically. I look at pictures now that I looked at then. And I used to cry, I used to cry my eyes out because I'd look at pictures of me next to my university friends and I thought I looked huge. I thought, I I was looking at this picture and I was convinced that I looked obese. I was convinced that my arms looked the size of my my legs. And I look back at them now and I can't see it. And I, I just see a normal girl. I see a really tiny, fragile girl who was scared and you know just really confused because what she was seeing in the mirror wasn't a real representation of who she was um I don't I never I I never starved myself but I would binge and purge a lot and it it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't healthy of course it wasn't healthy but particularly f- for the relationships around me like my partner would really struggle because of it because I couldn't you know you asked me what I wanted to eat and I couldn't tell you because there was loads of things I wanted to eat but there wasn't a single thing that I felt safe allowing myself to eat um, so I developed a really bad relationship with food I tracked everything down to a T I think I don't think I had a roast, uh, like a roast potato, for Christmas for like three years or something like that, because I would we, we always had the English I'm championships. <laughs> we always had the English championships just after after Christmas, and so I, I didn't feel like I could really enjoy Christmas. Um, and I you know looking back at it now, I, I'm really glad I moved up. i um, in a way, I think I'm. I, I, again, not a pessimist. I'm a realist and I do like to see things as an opportunity for growth. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it because I know, I know that I have the discipline required to do what I need to do to make something happen, like physically. And I think that's what, why a lot of people do bodybuilding. There's a, there's an element of bodybuilding that is just the discipline and the psychological discipline that is required to get those results so in a way I'm glad I did it because I, pro- I, I proved to myself that I can but now as a 59 oh God, I can eat whatever I want I can eat whatever I want I can not eat whatever I want I don't really have to worry about my protein consumption I don't have to worry about carbs I've not tracked calories since 2019
0: do you feel and like you've I- got stronger now that you're able to eat more
1: Funnily enough, no. Um, yeah, so I was pound for pound. I was stronger at 53 kilos. Um, in the snatch, particularly, the cl- like getting stronger has meant that I, I've been able to clean and jerk more because I've always been very naturally powerful in a way that I wasn't naturally strong. So I was really good at the snatch really good at the jerk but struggled with the raw strength element of the clean so that's definitely improved but actually I don't think there's been as great a correlation of increasing body weight and increasing maximally lifted weights as I hoped as other people hoped there would be and I I do think a large part of that is we've just been through a pandemic the performance mindset, i you know, teared up every day and I put the work in to get those 1%. But there was a slight mindset shift of you know, you put yourself into kind of third gear and you cruise a little bit rather than feeling like you're always having to attack your weights in a certain way. So I'm hoping that now, you know, I, I will start to see that 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 increase that increase in strength. Um, but overall I do believe that I was stronger at 53 and you know what there is an element of that that might have been because I was on top of my nutrition I was really making sure that I was getting all my nutrients I was eating a lot of protein you know I was getting enough recovery and I guess maybe cutting meant that I was stricter on my performance mindset than I am now at the moment I'm just enjoying being a weightlifter like I would say now I am thriving as a, not just as a as a weightlifter but as me because I am able to be me and not just Jenny the weightlifter, which is what I was at 53. I was consumed by it.
0: Mm. That's massive, isn't it? How much food affects you psychologically. Mm. So let's talk about Jenny the you, not the Jenny the weightlifter. And I know that you're studying at uni and you, you said that you're studying law, but you also yeah. talk a lot about like, Femininity, like equality, um, Black Lives Matter, all of these different things that you talk about on your platform. So, can you share with us some of the like, like you shared some shocking facts actually the other day, and I was like, wow, with the the law that came in that um, said guys couldn't rape their wives only in nineteen ninety four. So, I love the fact that you use your platform to talk about these things and educate people. Is there any other shocking facts that you found with what you're educating yourself on that you'd like to share?
1: Um, Do you know what? I'm really bad with facts off the top of my head. Um, But what I will say is that there is so much out there that we are blind to just because we choose not to see it. And I think that's why I do it. And sometimes you have just got to open your eyes, open the website, open the book and take a look and read it for yourself. And sit on that and think about it and really, you know, take it in, take in what that means. So um, the one that you mentioned, so I use the example of the fact that FGM, uh, which is female genital mutilation, was made illegal in the UK before it was made illegal to rape your wife. And neither of those things should have ever been legal for a start. But if we actually put into perspective what that means now what that means is that we see the private what happens within the household we have seen historically traditionally we see it as exactly that as private it's nothing to do with us it's nothing to do with the state it's nothing to do with anybody outside of your household so what you do behind closed doors is your business we know now that pretty much every day. Almost every day in the UK, a woman is killed by a partner or an ex-partner. That isn't private. That's not a private matter. And it's unfortunate that it's only really in the last few years that we're actually having serious conversations about this because women are dying. Women are still dying. And women are still dying because we've allowed them to because we've allowed ourselves to sit back ignorantly and go, do you know what? Well, this doesn't affect me. So why would I want? Why would I? Why would I look? It's discomfort. It's discomforting. It's distressing. I don't want to know those facts. Well, you need to know those facts. You need to in the same way that. And again, I'm really bad at like pulling out facts and figures off the top of my head, but black women are. Uh, more likely to die during childbirth. And that's because of the historic. Uh, the, the, historically, they are under, understudied in, me- in medicines or overstudied in that <laughs> med- the medical profession has historically believed that black women endure pain much better than white women. So they're not believed when they are, when they're telling medical professionals that something is wrong, they aren't believed. That's not. Um, that's not because of something that's said on paper. That's because of an intrinsic bias, like an unconscious bias that these these nurses, these medical practitioners don't even realise they have. And so it's only when you look at the statistics and you think, no, well, actually, if you know, only five percent of the population is black, why is it that? Um, mortality rates in pregnant women are much higher than the percentage of the population that is Black. There is something seriously wrong there, and it's not comfortable. These conversations shouldn't be. I think we've just got really used to the idea of being comfortable. We don't like being uncomfortable and having difficult conversations. And the way my platform has grown over the past few years, I was just known as Jenny the weightlifter, and that's fine, that, that's absolutely fine, it's part of my identity, but it's not my whole identity, and it really bugged me that suddenly I'd become a space to come and look at, you know, cool lifts, but I wasn't really using my platform for the things that I really care about, and the things that really matter, weightlifting, doesn't matter weightlifting is great fun but weightlifting isn't going to change the world we can one one person at a time we can and i wanted to use my platform for more than vanity and for more than weightlifting and you know shouting about accolades and the cool things that we we're all doing and um, use it as an opportunity to not to educate people and not to patronize people but to share with people and Open up a space to have conversations that they might not necessarily be accessing. I find my social media is a little bit of an echo chamber. So I follow pages that reflect my views. I follow people who reflect my views. And so I often miss out on some of the conversations, some of the difficult conversations that I should be having. And then I realise that that's exactly what other people were doing. They were following people who just es- essentially recycled the same things over and over again. You know, weightlifting, lad Bible, weightlifting, I'm just bare, these kind of things. And I was like, there is a space here to have this conversation. And that's essentially what my platform has become. Like, I, I, every, every couple of months, I make a joke on my story. Like, if you came here just for vanity and weightlifting videos, then I'm sorry to disappoint you because there's actually very little weightlifting that actually (laughs) happens on here these days.
0: what has been the response to people who have been following you?
1: Um, I love the saying that the trash takes itself out for the most part you know anybody who does have an issue with the things that I say which I'm just going to put this out there as a caveat. If you find yourself having an issue with any of the things that I say on my platform, um, there's an irony there because nothing I say is wrong. (laughs) Nothing I say is particularly, um, there's no real defense or like counter argument to it in it being explicitly bad. So I'm not, um, I'm not a Jordan Peterson, for example. I'm just putting out facts and putting out general concepts and ideas that ring true across most of society. So when people have issues with it, I do tend to find they are more, it's a, it's a them problem. I think the other day I wrote something about um, how we, we just have this obsession with telling young girls that they should find a rich man. Like, go marry a rich man, you'll be so happy. You'll, you, know, you can do whatever you want because you'll have loads of money and you can just sit on your laurels and be a philanthropist. How is that helpful to anyone, to anyone in society? It's not good for, for men, From even just from a stereotypical point of view. It's not healthy. We want, we want to talk a lot about men's mental health and, and toxic masculinity. Like, toxic masculinity is not good for men. It's not good for men. There is a crisis at the moment within the male population in the UK. We need to help them. And so telling girls that they need to go and find a rich man isn't helpful to men. So what I then find very rich is when a man comes to tell me that actually, well, you know, well, what if a woman wants to be dependent on a man and what if a woman wants to do this and that, And and what if she wants to take her husband's last name? I didn't say that she can't. I didn't say that she shouldn't. I just said that maybe we should stop brainwashing young girls because it's not healthy for anyone. Generally, ninety-nine percent of the time, everything I everything I put out is received really well, and then there is just that one percent that want you know want to disagree. And I believe everyone's entitled to their own opinions. I will always give space for people to give their opinions, and I'll never dismiss someone just because they doesn't they don't agree with me. But what I won't give space to is people, um, people being nasty and people being rude and spiteful. And I think what that's one of the things I do tend to find, like I will I will have a conversation with anyone. I'm open for debate. Like I, I welcome new ideas. I love having my opinion changed. I love having my mind changed. I love being mentally challenged but what I don't love and I don't respect is nastiness. And unfortunately the nastiness that I do receive is from men. And that to me is a very, that's a red flag. Like what, what, what is so hard and so uncomfortable about this conversation that makes your um, automatic response to be bitterness and nastiness, it's counterproductive.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's been amazing talking to you today i could sit here and listen to you for ages i've hardly had to say a word <laughs> so my voice is grand today <laughs> quite often when i do interviews i talk a lot and then i have a, a sore voice so, um, i appreciate that <laughs> thank you for so so much for being on i i um i'm just aware of the time and we've been an hour now so i want to let you go um but is there any lasting thoughts that you want to leave us with
1: um I guess just like I said, you know, do some do things for you. Always make sure that you're checking in with yourself. And it doesn't matter if something seems hard or difficult, just just start. Just start, and you'll be glad you did it. And always speak kindly to yourself. It's so so easy to be your biggest critic, but you are also your only self you will be with you until the day you die and so it's really important that you speak kindly to yourself always
0: great advice you're so wise for someone so young (laughs) thank Mm -hmm. you so much just finally tell us where we can find more about you what your social media handles
1: yeah so you can find me on instagram which is my main platform uh it is at jenny t811 and you can also find me on Twitter, which I do rarely use, but that is at Jenny T underscore 811.
0: Brilliant. Thanks so much. I'll leave all those handles below. And if anyone has any comments, I'm sure we can come back on and answer them later. Okay. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Take Bye. care. You've been listening to Weishi Radio on 91.8 Hayes FM. You've been listening to Weishi Radio on 91.8 Hayes FM.